Welcome back, gentle listeners. This is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, and I'm your host, Julia. This is our last installment of our Bridgerton discussion with Melissa. On today's show, we discuss episodes seven and eight. Hope you enjoy. In episode seven, it's called Oceans Apart. They come home. They have all this stuff. Everyone's happy. They're like, yes, uh, Violet's like, it's going to be great because the Duke and Duchess are here. That's going to help us. Right. And as they're sort of discussing how to do this, because Antony's like, we can handle it, whatever. It's like, cool your britches, Antony. You can't handle shit. And two, Violet's like, I understand how to navigate this type of scandal. And, and in their conversation, when she says having the Duke and Duchess here is going to really help with perception, Daphne says to her, and no one will be the wiser. By pretending nothing is amiss is the perfect way to lure the ignorant into submission. Isn't it? Is it not mama? And I was like, that is such a loaded statement in so many ways. It works perfectly with the context in that they're fighting the whole Colin Marina thing. But then it's also totally works within the context of like Daphne's hurting. She, she feels betrayed by her mom as well as the Duke because nobody explained to her what marriage really is going to look like she's grieving. <sighs> I just she's grieving this idea of mm-hmm. what it was going to be. And like grieving, I, I feel like she's also grieving relationships because they're different now. Yeah. Like her relationship with her mom is, is tainted now because she doesn't trust her mom anymore. She, mm-hmm. her relationship with her brothers are tainted now because they didn't, they didn't have her best interest at heart. Anthony did not have her best interest at heart. Right. He had his best interest at heart. Right. And I think that's also something to grieve as well is like the, the family relationship that is now different. Right. Right. And not just because she's been married off, but because there's so many elements now, so many moving parts that are sort of out of Violet's control and Antony's control too. One of the things that we haven't really touched on is Benedict's storyline. Like most middle children, even though he's like at the top of the middle order, He's sort of struggling on where he fits. He meets this guy who hosts sort of these artist salons and they're wonderful and they're lovely. And he's sort of developing who he is within that. And they have all these menage a trois, which is like so funny to me. I don't know why. So there's, so there's that sort of subplot happening in the background. So episode seven, lots of things sort of start moving forward and coming to head. Daphne decides that she's going to assist Marina in finding George and what happened to George. Daphne and Simon have a conversation about why Simon won't have children. I thought that was really powerful because now he's starting to slowly open up a little bit with his vulnerability about the situation with his dad, but not fully, like he's still not fully there. Right. So what I thought was, okay, here's where I'm going with this. I promise I have a point. The title of the episode being Oceans Apart. At the very end, when they're at this party, Benedict Bridgerton has witnessed Sir Henry Granville, the person who hosts these artist salons, who's also a second born child. So he doesn't have the responsibility of his brother, whom I'm assuming is also a Viscount. He has to assume that. Benedict sees him in a romantic physical situation with a man and is shocked by it. And so Benedict doesn't really call him on it, but he's just sort of treading lightly on the situation. Right. So Benedict says is like, how do you make this happen? Like, I don't understand like what this is. He says to Benedict, you cannot possibly understand what it's like to be so close to someone yet oceans apart. And I thought that's, 
again, another great parallel because you have Daphne and Simon in this, in a similar situation, they are very close to each other, but because of these two or three things, they are like on opposite sides of the planet when it comes to how to move next and how they are feeling, but they deeply love each other still. But you think that he's only referring to himself, that Sir Henry Granville is only referring to himself. He's referring to all the things that happened in the episode, Marina and Colin being found out, Penelope's love for Colin, the Duke and the Duchess. And it just really like that reminder that love is super complicated. And if you're not willing to make it work, then what are you trying to do? And sometimes circumstances just work against you. And Mm -hmm. like as much work as you can put in, sometimes circumstances do work against you and it still doesn't work out. Right. Like with Marina and Colin, like it's not going to work out. The Bridgerton family will never accept that. Right. They won't accept that. They're not going to let Colin father a baby that's not his and right. be and be the, the I mean that will wreck their status so oh. I mean yeah and then and then oh, you know sorry. and same with the duke and the duck and like yeah. the same with the duke and the duchess like they love each other they loved each other this whole time and then something constantly is like it's almost like the magnets it's like magnets that oh, like if you so flip fine. them if you flip one of them to the opposite side then they just can't they can't right match up it just won't happen yeah and then when benedict and marina have their confrontation well confrontation their conversation and he's like i can't believe it's true like you know all these things and then he says to her you know marina you could have just been honest with me because i would have married you anyway and that might be true for colin but she also knows that it's not true Mm -hmm. like that that idea the idea of that might be true for colin like yes he might have really done that but it's not true. They wouldn't have let that happen. I think episode seven might be my favorite in the sense of like all of our loose, all of our little storylines that happen. Cause not every storyline is in every show yeah. in episode seven. It, they all are because we also have stuff with um, Anthony and Sienna in that episode, but we don't really see it. I didn't note it cause it wasn't as compelling, I think, because they have a more compelling situation in episode eight. They do such a good uh, a good job with episode seven in the sense that uh, they portray the gravity of the situation so well. Yeah. Of all of their situations. Yeah. Like, it might seem, it might seem trivial, like some of these things might seem trivial to us in this day and age, but in their time period, yeah, this was this was end all be all this yeah. was like marie at the end of the the episode with marina mm-hmm. and you know but that was that belief again that goes serious thing yes and that goes into that sort of misconceptions on how we talk to women about their bodies and what is actually functional and you know she thinks that this concoction is going to rid her of her pregnancy and it's like girl i don't just, we just women are failed you know it's like this is such a failure towards well, women and, and- in such a way so in her defense, so this is this is going to be real. This is fairly interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Marina is the only one out of all of those girls in society. She's the only one that would have known that information. Yes. You see her in the kitchen. She's yeah. not picking at random. She's right. not just taking all of the things out of the tea cabinet and just pouring it in and like desperately concocting anything. This right. is not a desperate attempt. This is, this is calculated. She right. knows what she's supposed to take. She ends up taking, I actually wrote it down. So she got juniper berries, which is accurate. 
Mm-hmm. Um, she got dried chamomile and dried um, dandelion root, which mm-hmm. again, accurate. She got dried fennel and she got hibiscus, all of which are accurate. The only thing that she didn't get was parsley and mint. And like, those are, those are things that she would have needed to potentially uh, terminate that pregnancy. Yeah. But this is not, this is not new age medicine. This isn't hocus pocus. This isn't, this isn't uh, new. People trying to end pregnancies. People have been trying and successfully ending pregnancies since the beginning and usually right. it was done with herbal medications right. she just did not have what she what she needed what she needed really and it's even funnier because the doctor says you really think that a tea mm-hmm. would have worked yeah it would have the proper tea would have yeah and he just wouldn't have known because he's part of the church he's a doctor from the church right right so that's definitely not information that he would have had that information would come from a midwife and you know so. he's from the church so everybody have all the babies who cares if your vagina gets ripped open 47 times in 20 years as long as well i mean like as long as you don't die like yeah just keep popping them out pop them out let's do this let's go yep oh man so then that brings us to episode eight after the rain and so Daphne and Simon host the final ball of the season, which I kind of love. In Whistledown, they kind of get called out for not having hosted anybody yet. So I so I felt it appropriate that they have the final ball of the season. And like a lot of things happen in this episode. So Marina learns that George really wasn't ignoring her the whole time. He's died in battle. And so his brother comes to, you know, say like, hey, this is what happened. And we're very sorry. Um you have Eloise thinking that Madame Delacroix is whistle down, which I think is hilarious. And also that's a pretty valid guess though. Okay. That's a, that's a good guess. I yeah. don't blame her for that one. That was a good guesstimation. Yeah. Wrong, wrong, but good. And also I kind of love that he, that she and Benedict sort of start hooking up. <laughs> I love that match too. And like, yeah. for some reason I'm more okay with Benedict being with, someone that's out of the cast system versus Anthony partially because I don't like Sienna either though yes. so there's, there's that. what it is about Sienna this poor girl like she really not- annoying yeah, she was not my favorite. I don't know if it was the actress or if the way that the character was acted. I'm not sure, but it was just not my favorite. Another big thing while they're prepping for the party, Daphne finds all of Simon's letters that he wrote to his dad. Because, you know, his dad's basically like, you're dead to me. Meh. You're an imbecile. Meh. Right. And so he, like, throughout his life, keeps them up to date through letters that never get responded to. And Daphne finds them and realizes the reality and the truth behind why her husband refuses to give her children. And so she has this really great moment with Lady Danbury about it. It was the motivation she needed to confront her husband about the situation. Right. And a shift in perspective. Yes. Because I think that before it was, I feel like the perspective that she had in the lie was it's a very malicious lie. It was a very selfish lie that he mm-hmm. did. Just like, I, I, I said, I'm not going to, therefore I'm not going to, I said, I'm not going to have children. I said, I'm not going to continue my family line. Therefore mm-hmm. I'm not because mm-hmm. I don't want to. And that's not really what it was. It was really a fear of being a father and a Mm -hmm. fear of that weight of that responsibility Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like that's very valid because I feel like that's still very common today in fatherhood because fathers are ill-prepared. Yeah. We don't do a good job of preparing dads. We do a better job now, but like, we don't do a good job preparing dads. Yeah, totally. They really get a short end of the stick. So I, I think that that gave her that, that shift in perspective that she really needed. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of it too, is the responsibility has never really been theirs to be a parent all the while still going on through the series is, you know, Eleanor, Eleanor, Eloise is trying to, um, unmask whistle down and she keeps Penelope up to date and everything. And Penelope doesn't end up going to the final ball. If I remember correctly, she's not at Hastings ball. So back to Marina and her situation. So George's brother, Philip shows up, says, you know, George is, we didn't know you were here until Lady Duchess Hastings made contacts, blah, blah. And so he shows up with this half written letter that basically is George saying, Marina, I love you. I'm so excited. This is our child. We're going to be together and all these things. And you're just like this crushing moment of like, ugh, because, you know, the schemes that were happening in front of us that George didn't know about to sort of get Marina in a position where she could be cared for when all the while her beloved is trying to get back to her. And then the brother showing up to give the news. And then the next day shows up and is basically like, this is one of my favorite parts of the episode, by the way, because it's just, I feel like it's so selfless. And I love when relationships start in like a selfless situation. Philip basically is like, my brother loved you. He wants you cared for. I have a responsibility because I love my brother and he loved you to make sure that happens. And at first Marina's like, I'm good. No, nah. not George. And then in all of this, we find out that Lord Featherington is no longer with us. Dead. That fool is dead. And so Marina asks Lady Featherington, like, how did you do it all these years? 20 plus two years being married to somebody that you didn't really love. And she's like, it's the little things, you know there's little things that you do. And then there's big things like your kids and you just sort of piece it together until it's finally enough to make a life work. And I thought that was really, um, I don't know. That just kind of broke my heart because she's a woman who's never fully loved. And that makes me sad when people aren't ever fully loved. And so then Marina makes this decision. She changes her mind and chooses to go with Philip, but she's still not certain about that decision. She's not. And I feel like that decision is kind of forced a little bit because Lord Featherington dies. Yeah, they can't keep her. (laughs) They can't, they literally cannot keep her now. They can't, there's nothing they can do. Yeah. Like they, they can't even feed her at this point. Yeah. So to keep her in the household would just, you know, I think that financially it was not feasible. Right. Um, and so I think that kind of has a lot to do with her decision as well. And like, honestly, if I were her, I'd be running out of that house. I'd be running. I'd be running real fast. Be like, mm-mm. And Phillips to me seemed like a sweet soul who wasn't going to be somebody. I mean, it, when you love your brother, when you have that kind of love for a sibling to be like, he, like, I'm getting emotional. I need to. I need to fulfill the role that they left behind and I'm going to fill that role for them. And I love them so much that like, I'm going to give up my life to continue with what they would have wanted and what they wanted most in the world. Yes. It's like, that's so powerful. That's such an unconditional love. You're sacrificing all of yourself 
for somebody, multiple people in this situation, and Mm -hmm. you're doing it selflessly and with honor. And I just thought, gosh, like that being, I felt happy for Marina because now Mm -hmm. she's in a position where she could potentially grow in love with Philip rather than living in a, if she's open to it, because there is the potential for resentment. Sure. But I feel like he is going to always be in a position where he's going to do right by her. And he's not going to put her in a position to feel like emotionally alone and so it just I got I just I got emotional and obviously because I got emotional now talking about it and it just it I don't know I really I really like that the way they handled wrapping yeah. up that storyline I think that she again had to shift her perspective a little bit and think of it in a way of this isn't a romantic match mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a contractual match right Cause there are a lot, there are lots of different matches in this time era. I've noticed like there are a lot of different ways that you can be connected to someone. Right. Right. And like be married. And like, I feel like this one is, I feel like both her and Philip are grieving yes. George together. Yes. I'm going to raise George's baby together as yes. maybe more as friends, maybe more of a platonic partnership mm-hmm. and like a mutual respect. I would be really surprised if they decided to have more children. I would think that maybe Philip wouldn't, I would like to think that Philip wouldn't force um, a romantic or physical relationship with her. I feel like they would maybe go on in life, you know, as friends, just be loving, a loving family. Right. I'm choosing to believe that they'll eventually fall in love. (laughs) I'm I'm choosing to believe that it just all works out nicely. Yes. And that there's no resentment and that he's not a dick. Yes. Yes. So all of that gets resolved. And then we end up at the Hastings ball, which was beautiful. Like, why haven't we had an outside ball yet? Oh yeah. We have had outside balls. I forget. But like, this one was really the light bulbs. Yes. That That was a great scene. Oh my God. So at the Hastings ball, Eleanor. Why do I want to call her Eleanor? Her name is Eloise. You really like like that name right now. Apparently. Eloise learns that the queen is going to unmask Lady Whistledown, which totally makes her panic because she still believes that Delacroix is um, Whistledown and, you know, Benedict and Delacroix. So she doesn't want her brother's girlfriend to get like, you know, yeah trouble right Penelope finally has the courage to tell Colin that he's that she's in love with him but before he can't before she can he announces he's going um abroad for a year so that that pain on her face oh my god that pain on her face I just felt her I just oh it just hurt (laughs) sad. it was real sad Anthony coming for Sienna to be like, Hey, you know, cause they have this scene where he's like, I'm going to take you to this ball. It's going to be great. We're going to live with happily ever after like, fuck the whole system. Like you're the one I want. This is going to happen. And then he shows up and she's like, we can't like, she doesn't have it in herself anymore. She's in another household with another man. Like they obviously just slept together. Yeah. Because homie is like buttoning up his shirt as yeah. he opens the door. Yeah. First of all, inappropriate. Like, right? Put your, put your clothes on before you open the door. What's wrong with you? Yeah, anyway. seriously. Especially in 1813. Come on. But like, then I just, I don't, I just don't like her. I don't I know. like her. She's just kind of a bitch. Like, 
<clears throat> I don't like her. And I don't like Anthony either. Yeah. But I think that it's really messed up that she says, like, yes to this situation and says yes to this. And then, like, Backs I think she does it. Me. I think that she does it as a slap to the face, though. Like, like on purpose? She did it on, like purpose? on purpose? Like, petty. To be like, this is how you make me feel all the time. So I'm doing it to you. Yep. I think I get annoyed with Sienna because we have her, um, because like they kind of like her and Madame Delacroix are like kind of in comparison in the same tier system, right? They're Correct. both self-made women. Yeah. They're not part of the cast. They're not debutante, you know, none of that stuff applies right. to them. But we have Madame Delacroix who is very much self-made. She has her own shop very independent, mm-hmm. very like head on her shoulders. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when I see her with Benedict, I'm like, Madame Delacroix doesn't care. Right. She doesn't care about Benedict's status. She doesn't care that Benedict has to go in and out. She understands her place in the system. Right. She understands his place in the system. There are no hard feelings. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we've got these two idiots <laughs> in Anthony and Sienna, right? And you've got Anthony, who is the Viscount. He's the full-on Viscount, okay? That is a big fucking deal. That's a big deal to be a Viscount, okay? Those are no small potatoes, okay? And so we've got the Viscount acting a fool, (laughs) making all of these promises to this opera singer. Yes. Who is essentially an escort. Yeah. Which we didn't touch on, but continue. And then she's got Anthony kind of like leading him on a string. Mm -hmm. But but he's also leading her on a string. It's just very annoying. Like, I just hate the whole, I hate their whole situationship. I'm like, (laughs) you guys need to get away from each other. Yeah. And they finally do. And, you know, Anthony shows up to take her to the ball and she's like, no, bro, fuck you. Like I, this guy doesn't expect anything from me other than what I can give him. And I was just like, yeah, I mean, you should have said that, I don't know, five episodes ago, but okay. (laughs) Right. Like, but she's so, but like. It's so interesting because in the beginning, she's like in the beginning when they talk about the watch, right? I yeah. I hate I hate when you pull that watch out. It means that it's time for you to go. And she's like all sad because yeah. she's so in love with him and yeah. all she wants to do is be with him, right? And then she gets the chance to be with him and he offers it all to her and like, oh, my situation has changed. Like, you know what? It sucks that his situation has changed and that's how it goes, but mm-hmm. that's how it goes in 1830. Yeah. He tells her that. And then she totally fucks him over. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, I feel like, I feel like she's trying to do self-preservation because, you know, he says that he's totally ready to do it, but then when is he going to back out again? Like what's going to happen when his mom finds a better, uh, finds a match, finds a match Mm -hmm. next season, because there's no way that he's not going into the season. Yeah, because he's now had how many seasons and he's walked out unmarried. Like, it's time, Anthony. Like, come on. Like, it's time. I feel like it's almost a game. It's almost part of the game, too, of, like, the women have to get married off within the first season, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want the women to have more than one season or else that's bad. That means Mm -hmm. that they're not very, they're the bruised out. Yeah, they're they're the peaches (laughs) that they flipped over to the other side. But then you've got the boys and they're treated more like wine right of, like if they stay on the shelf longer it's gonna be better forever until they get to a certain point and then they turn into vinegar 
Right. And then they're Lord Burb. Then they're Lord Burb because they're still living with their mom. Yeah. And they can't get married. Another part of the final episode, you know, Lady Danbury is, he. she notices that there's a rift between Daphne and Simon and she... <sighs> You know, at this point, we realize that she feels like a secondary mother to him since he lost his mother so young. And we've learned that his actual mother was her best friend. Mm-hmm. And so she says to him in her observations of their behavior to each other during the ball, she says to him, pride, your grace will cost you everything and leave you with nothing. You must not allow it to happen to you. To me, I was thinking she's referring to her da- his dad because he was so such a proudful man and treated his family like garbage. But then also calling him out. Well, yeah, I guess, yeah, she's, he's, she's calling him out on his shit. Like, don't be like your dad. Like you are on the path to being your dad with this attitude right now is kind of how I took it. Yeah. I took it the same way. And I just took it as, um, cause I don't know if they ever touch on if Lady Danbury is married or not. I would assume that she is or not or widowed. at least widowed because she Probably doesn't widowed. have, you know, a husband showing up at the Danbury ball. Right. And so that being said, I took it as that. And I also took it as like a bit of personal advice. Like maybe she felt that way herself somehow of like Mm -hmm. a piece, a piece of like learned knowledge over the years of like, I've made this type of mistake before I've been real proud and I've also messed up. Don't let that happen to you. Right. And I just, I don't know. I really, I, I liked it. It was a very good piece of motherly advice yeah I think so too and then and then he heeded her advice and and then when he and Daphne are finally dancing or is it when they were dancing together because they agreed to one dance and then it starts raining why do they do that why does that always happen like we have our most romantic scenes in Hollywood when it's raining right? Like the notebook does it. Spider-Man from the early aughts does it. Those are the only two that first come to mind immediately, but it's like a reoccurring thing where you've either just gotten out of the rain and you have this big romantic scene or it starts raining on you. <laughs> like what? Well, I mean, it start that started with singing in the rain. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie like, so much. When they did that, like that had never been done before. They yeah. didn't have like, and to film it in the way that they filmed it. And I mean, I, I could, that was such an iconic uh, piece of dramatic cinematography at mm-hmm. the time that it's just, it's recurring. It's now a artistic element and it's beautiful when it's done right. And it's crappy when it's done wrong and it's uh-huh. super cheesy. Uh-huh. Like, uh. mm-hmm. But they yeah. did it really well here. I liked it. I agree. Daphne says to Simon, just because something isn't perfect, doesn't make it any less worthy of love. And I was like, get it girl get you get your man because yeah and in the book too the first three chapters they really lay into how important it is to him to have this present like his perception he's perceived as this very strong man when he's just working really hard to suppress his stutter and like he doesn't really want to engage and interact so now this portrayal of him being this perfect specimen of Brit- of a british man is like his reputation and so to me the first time I saw the show and she says that line it was impactful in that you know you can be flawed and still go into a relationship and that's okay people are going to love you no matter what like if you have the right people they're going to love you Mm -hmm. the second time or actually (laughs) this is the third time I've watched Bridgerton um but after listening to the first three chapters of the book and hearing just how hard he works to be who he is changes the impact of that line for me, because now it's like, oh man, 
he's held on a pedestal for being exactly what you want your daughter to marry, but he's so tortured and brooding. And like, just to, just to throw this out there, like just this tidbit of information, a stress induced stutter is really difficult to overcome Mm -hmm. and really difficult to manage. Most stutters are anxiety and stress and like that it it's induced by that. It's very rarely like a physical manifestation or a physical problem. My second daughter suffers from an anxiety induced stutter. And so when we know that she's stressed out, if she starts stuttering, like we have to be very mindful. You have Mm -hmm. to constantly be on that. So to have that on you, so much pressure. And then to have, you know, your wife say, essentially, you can let your guard down. You're okay. Like, it's going to be okay. I think that's something that he really needed. Yes, because no one's ever allowed him to be who he is. Like Lady Danbury tried. She tried, but there's still this wall there because she's still kind of a connection to his dad and his mom in a way that he's not willing to necessarily embark on yet. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so here's this woman who's like, I just, you know, they've loved each other from the moment that she ran into him and said, tell me your name. <laughs> what is your name, please? And so for it to all come together in the end. And then, so here's what I thought was really interesting about the final, final scene. When we learn that they finally have a child together, mm-hmm. she's in, she's in the Duchess's quarters, which he refused repeatedly to allow her to be in. And part of it, I felt like, initial reaction would be it's because he doesn't want her to not be with him but I also think that he has a fear had a fear for the longest time of that room because it's the last room where his mother was there's even a scene I forget which episode it is where he sort of like lingers in the doorway and like looks and he's like doing his brooding hotness and that um one of the servants is like do we should we set up the duchess's quarters sir and he's like no and then walks away Mm -hmm. So I always thought that that final scene of them being in the Duchess quarters, delivering this child was very, very powerful. For sure. I definitely agree with that. I also found the Duchess's room, like there was probably some fear there, like some superstition, like you said, of like, this is where she died. But it also is at the same, on, on that, the flip side of that same coin, Mm -hmm. it's, it's where she died. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's enshrined to her. And that's what people do. That is a way that people grieve is to when someone passes away suddenly or unexpectedly or whatever, um, they will leave everything exactly as it is and not touch it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind. I felt it was kind of that too. So it was very like healing mm-hmm. to see like for them, you could tell like, oh, he, he healed. Mm-hmm. like oh he he has closure of his mother's death now like oh. he's he's worthy of love his mother would have loved him I think that must have like yeah. ran through his mind a lot like my father hated me mm-hmm. my father thought that I was unworthy and damaged essentially mm-hmm. would my mother have even loved me even if she had lived or would I've just been a disappointment to her too right questions that uh, will never get answered Right. And so I feel like by them being in the room, like you said, it's very powerful and also very healing of like, no, she would, she would have loved me. Like I can take everything down. I can, I can move on and she won't be like offended. Right. What do you want to see in season two? Cause I'm assuming it's going to resemble the book now that I know it's a book series, Mm -hmm. but like, what do we want to see in season two? 
I, like I said, I really want Anthony to have a terrible season. <laughs> want do you all think of, like the worst girls to be after him? Be like, after all the all the vulgar mamas. Do you think? Them. Do you think Colin comes back? Because the book is like all about Anthony, right? It's called Anthony and Kate, I believe. But just because you know the first book was about the Duke and Daphne doesn't mean that we didn't get all these other storylines involved. Yeah, Anthony, the Viscount who loved me is what it's called. I think, I think he'll probably come back like in the middle of the season because that would be like a year because he leaves at the end of the season, at the end of the season. So we might see him come back because isn't the third, which one is the third book? Is that Benedict? Yeah, the, an offer from a gentleman and it's Benedict and Sophie. I don't know who Sophie is. Okay, I dislike that they're going out of order and that they did Daphne first and now they're going back and they're doing it in like age order. But then they're not because book seven is Hyacinth and Gareth and book eight is Gregory and Lucy. So like, guys, what? Well, Gregory is younger. Oh, Mm-mm. oh. I know I did that. I, I did that too. And I was like, but she comes before age. And then in one of the earlier episodes, she comments, she's like, he's like, I am tall. I'm older than you. And she's like, yeah, but I'm taller. And it's like, oh, okay. That's how they address it. Got it. Episode five is called the Duke and I, which is what the first book in the series is called. So I kind of hope they do find a way to incorporate the book title into one of the episode titles. Right. But I also would like to see, um, Oh, that's the other thing. So apparently the book series, we don't learn the identity of Lady Whistledown until book four because it becomes a conflict. It becomes an issue because Colin and Penelope, right? Like they have this unrequited love situation in book one or season one. And so that's part of the, according to the description, that's part of the issue in book four. At this point, it's just dramatic irony that we know who... Whistledown. Yeah, because they all still don't know. I kind of yeah. wish, I kind of wish they hadn't told us though. Yeah, same. Like because I don't really get why she's Whistledown. And two, it changes because you know even even Eloise brings up the fact that like, how did Whistledown know about Marina? Everything that she's written about has been happening basically in public, and this is a very private thing. So, you know, that's kind of like a red flag to me in the sense of like, okay, so Whistledown is somebody who's close to at least the Featheringtons because she, Eloise is not wrong. Nothing prior to the Marina reports has been that deeply intimate about any family. It's all been speculation. It's all been observations of what's happening in public. Yeah. And then I think that's, but to me, I feel like that was a sign that she was getting emotional and Mm -hmm. that's why she, that's why she wrote that. And that's why she divulged that information because like, if she was not emotional about it, she wouldn't have released it. Yeah. She She wouldn't wouldn't have released released it. it. She was trying to stop it. So at any cost, I really dislike Anthony's character. And so I just really (laughs) want to see him have a really difficult time. I want to see him get reamed by his mom. I want to see him get totally reamed by his mom at some point in time. I really want her to just completely obliterate him. Yeah. Do you think that Eloise will really actually like be forced to come out? Or do you think that she'll like, because she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to be debuted. And so I feel for her, but also at the end of season one, they sort of agree that she'll, you know, enter into society and then. Do you, so I'm like, okay, so does she enter into society or does she convince her mom to let her like have another year? Or 
does she enter society kicking and screaming or does she enter society and like is quietly begrudging but then like we meet a character that she eventually falls in love with I think it's going to really depend on if they're going by the books because didn't you say that Eloise is book what let me pull it up again you're right it does now I'm just like I have to read them because because like there's like like we had said, like I was saying before, I think I was talking to you before about it. I'm not really sure. Um, like they have, they've signed on for, um, for four, four more seasons. Yeah, for four seasons. Yeah. Okay. Which would so be Eloise's. So it would, um, so if four seasons, four technical like seasons, these debutante seasons. Okay. So that there's one season per year. Right. They don't understand how things work. I'm just throwing it out there. A lot of things. <laughs> don't work this way if we're going by seasons and it's 1813 now it's gonna be 1817 so we're gonna go right into the queen dying and eloise technically is book five so it's 1817 uh that would be colin and penelope's year for because yeah. that's book four is colin and penelope so somehow eloise stays out of her season or she just tanks each season. That would be fun to watch. That would be fun to watch. That would be so <laughs> funny to watch. Oh my God. Because at the Hastings went. Ball, she's like, why don't you draw or something about drawing a picture or drawing a likeness so you can keep looking or something like that. And Violet was just like mortified. Like, remember, like, dearest, this is a practice for when you're out next year. And she's just like, I don't care yeah. at all. I hope we get more Francesca too, because we really didn't have any Francesca. I forgot that there was a Francesca Yeah, for like a minute until actually all the way until the end when they say Francesca is coming home yeah. and they're like all excited about it. I'm just like, who's Francesca? Oh, that's the F child. Oh, that's right. It's like, I should probably not have called her that in retrospect, but like, <laughs> Really, she's only in like one episode. She's in half of the first one, not even. I don't even remember her. They don't even do ceremony when she's leaving to go to their Aunt Winnie's house. And then they make a big deal about her coming back. Is she in the first episode? I think so. I think she is. But not like obviously. She's not obviously in the first episode. You know what I mean? Is she just like sitting in the drawing room? I think it's when they're all running down the stairs and then they have those big portraits of the family of the kids. I think that's. And then that's the only other time I remember seeing her until she comes back. Sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> You're right. You're totally right. I'm sure I'm sure that's completely correct. I, <laughs> I don't know. No clue because I cannot remember ever seeing or hearing the name Francesca until the end of the season. Literally. Yeah. Like I had to look it up. I had to Google the Bridgerton children. Who is your favorite character? Out of the Bridgerton children, Eloise is my favorite. I think that out of the whole entire cast, I don't know. So for me, the out of the Bridgerton children, wait, uh, Michael. I was no, saying say who I would like to help me if I was stranded on the side of the road, obviously the Duke of Hastings. There's that. Yeah. That's a true statement right there. I, so like out of all the characters, I really, I really like Lady Danbury. Oh yeah. She's a great character. I just really like her character. She's just a really interesting character. And just knowing what I know about Regency time period and about that in that part of history, it was very normal. Like all women had female companions. Right. Like, 
from the time of you know full-on court and there were ladies and waitings and stuff and so mm -hmm. like from from that came companions of just like he literally just had a friend yeah Your friend was legitimately on the castle's payroll be there with you and just right. like hang out and do your sewing together and read books and talk shit so i'm hearing i have to pay people to make this happen is that what i mean you have to get an institution to pay people so that you guys can just talk shit all day that's what you need to do damn it it's right there that's why but i like, realized my dream of becoming a trophy wife exactly but like i just like i like that they showed that type of relationship because that's a very realistic relationship and like you know with the whole situation i liked it yeah. my favorite of the children uh i really like benedict and i have a feeling that he's gonna get into some uh real interesting situations situations with his uh with his artist friend i already see that so that guy was on downton abbey the guy who plays the artist friend because the whole time i'm like why does this guy look familiar he sounds familiar he looks familiar so i hop onto imdb and i was like you 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 had a hots for lady mary crawley and i'm here for it that's amazing I've never actually watched Downton Abbey. What? I have literally fallen asleep to the first episode of Downton Abbey uh, like eight times. Oh my gosh. I've probably seen the whole entire series eight times. And after after that eighth time of falling asleep, I'm just like, this is apparently. Maybe it's not for you. This is just one that's not for me. And I love historical pieces and stuff, but like yeah. I just, I, I fall asleep with that one. I don't know what it is. In the winter time, that's my thing is watching British yeah. period pieces. And when the pandemic hit, I was like, I'm not done watching British period pieces just because it's June, the world's ending. I still need to escape. The Bridgerton was really well timed because it fell into that time frame of when I when you normally watch yeah. this type of that genre. That's yeah. Hilarious. So I'm hoping they drop season two at Christmas again because I, or in between that period of Christmas and New Year's because I felt like that was a really good move because literally everybody and I don't know if that was the original intention to drop it at that point. We were like starved because everyone consumed everything. I do hope that we see. <laughs> Because, you know, there's that scene where Benedict is like making out with Delacroix and then also this other mystery woman. And then we later learn that the mystery woman is Sir whatever's Henry's wife. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh. And he's just like, how do I navigate? How do I navigate? Okay, okay. So now that Antony's going to be the focus in season two, it'd be nice to kind of get as hefty of subplots that we got for Antony in season one for the next brother right that would be really fun to see i'm pretty sure he's gonna sleep with that guy oh totally they totally have chemistry it's crazy yeah, their totally chemistry gonna... was crazy i think benedict's gonna get mad about it do but, you yeah. think they'll replace the great the actors that did gregory and hyacinth i mean it's only a year later but still they have to like you know how hollywood will age characters up i don't i don't think so yeah i don't think so netflix very rarely ages out quickly yeah i've noticed with their characters and shonda rhymes i know is big on consistency and she mm. does not like that that's why the duke is not in it next season because she likes consistency and he was unhappy it's annoying to me only because it could have brought a little bit more depth into the plot line and i am not sure how they had to change the plot line 
right. fit him not being in there? And does that mean that Daphne's not going to be in it either? I don't know. That's a really good question because they're such a close-knit family. I can't imagine that. It'd be real weird. It would be real weird unless they didn't come home for the season to London for the season. I mean, and yeah, that's but how I, they, that's how they explain it. I mean, I guess like, yeah, that would, that would make sense. Or if she's like pregnant again mm-hmm. and she needs to be like confined, she's in confinement or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause that was definitely still a thing at this time. I just think that it's going to be kind of like a hole in the plot. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Next week, Christina's back, and we are saying goodbye to Younger. Talk to y'all then.